When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is presented by Meteor Men, the expanded edition by Jeff Parker and Sandy Jarrell from Oni Press. One summer night, Alden Baylor sits in a field watching the largest meteor shower in human history. What begins as a teenage adventure becomes something more. The celestial event brings travelers who will change the world completely, and Alden discovers a connection to one of them. How does a young man handle the invasion of his planet? Can Alden keep humanity from oblivion? From writer Jeff Parker and artist Sandy Jarrell comes the story of adolescence, friendship, and hard decisions. The deluxe expanded edition features 20 new pages of story and art interspersed with the original pages of this modern classic. <laughs> Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 126, and we're recording on April Fool's Day. <laughs> I am Sharifa Williams, here with Jen Northington, and we are not going to play any tricks on you. No. We are going to talk about <laughs> some of our favorite reads from the first quarter of the year. I am not a huge fan of the April Fool's pranks, to be Listen, honest. I hate April Fool's Day because I am... <laughs> so gullible like I will believe you uh, if you tell me something and every year <laughs> I forget that this is a thing and then I read something and I'm like oh dang like <laughs> is this real or is it not real like I don't freaking know <laughs> so I am not a fan <laughs> of April Fool. I already got um a joke email promising me free donuts <gasps> that turned out to be a prank and I was living I was that should that is outrageous like that is outrageous. donuts are not to be trifled with how dare <laughs> how very uh, dare Yes, so that is why we are just, I know, of all things in the world, Seriously? don't mess with me and no. food. No, no. <laughs> Ugh, I hate that story. Um, yeah, so, well, okay, so aside from our hatred for April Fool's Day, uh, no, I'm so excited that we're doing this, but I also have to say that I changed my mind 16 times about what book, I read really good books in this first quarter, and it was really hard to narrow it down to two for the record. Yeah, it's a nice problem to have, but this was a great year, a great start to the year yeah. in science fiction and fantasy. So I had to, I, I definitely took some off my list just because I had talked about a couple in my most anticipated, mm, but also, mm -hmm. you know... It was it was tricky for me as well. But well, maybe if again. we both had that problem, maybe we'll do a part two. We'll we'll, we'll talk about That's it. That's true. Yeah, we could always we could do a do part that. two. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Well, there's a lot of fun news today too. But uh, first, mm -hmm. let's let's hear about a sponsor. 
And this is uh, presented by Macmillan Audio. It's the full cast audiobook of Sylvain Nouvelle's Until the Last of Me, which is a darkly satirical first contact thriller as seen through the eyes of the women who make progress possible and the men determined to stop them. Mia's family has shaped Earth's history to push humanity to the stars through the sacrifice of countless lives. After nudging civilization through the dawn of rocket technology, Mia is helping to launch the first space mission. While she can't take them to the stars yet, she's getting them closer. But a terrible adversary is upon her, threatening the future of two species. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Uh, So this is, as I said, it's read by a full cast, including audiophile earphones, award winners, Jilly Bond, Imogen Wild, Kevin Shen, and Thomas Judd. And Library Journal gave Until the Last of Me a starred review and calls it an exciting science fiction thriller that will in turn inform and surprise readers. Nouvelle is very good at first contact thrillers for the record. Mm-hmm. This is not his first go. So some of you are already familiar and you know, some of you maybe are new, but especially if you are looking for a great full cast audiobook, you will want to check out Until the Last of Me by Sylvain Nouvelle from Macmillan Audio. Sounds super fun. Indeed, indeed. Well, I'm going to kick us off with some news. And I found, I I sought out non-adaptation news, so I'm going <laughs> to kick us off with that. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not going to talk about adaptations, <laughs> but I, I saw this story, which was really interesting. It's from Nora McGreevy uh, at Smithsonian Magazine. And there's apparently some new artwork that you can look at for free by J.R.R. Tolkien. And these are illustrations for Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit that are rarely seen and that were uploaded recently to the Tolkien Estate's updated website. So there's a whole bunch of stuff you can look at there. I don't think I realized, I somehow missed that Tolkien also illustrated Mm. some of his stories. And I'm pretty sure that I have an edition of The Hobbit. I didn't get a chance to look at it because it's in my garage with so many other (laughs) things in my life right now. Because I'm mid-move. But I didn't get a chance to look at it. But I remember loving the illustrations there. And you can see some of them in this Smithsonian Magazine piece. And they're really cool. I I am particularly a fan of illustrations where there are lots of little details Mm. to look at. Mm. And the first image you see in the magazine is this Smaug illustration and you know he's on top of this pile of gold and there are little bones everywhere it's just really cool and fun and interesting and then this whole piece is kind of um a great collection of links to look around at other stuff from tolkien's life and digital collections that have been around as well as this newer upload of some rare illustrations. So I just was going through this whole uh, piece, which is, you know, I think is a medium-sized read. It won't take you that long. But if you're really interested in the life and work of uh, Tolkien beyond the books, I definitely recommend taking a look, clicking through some of these links and 
having a good time, especially if you love illustrations like I do. Yeah. I also, speaking of that smog uh, illustration, I love the little Bilbo in the corner, the way that Tolkien has rendered, because he's wearing the ring, so he's not... He's technically invisible, and the way that Tolkien has rendered that is very clever and cute, I think. Um, these, yes. these illustrations are just so wholesome. Like they're so, they are. They're so sweet and beautiful. I, I, I did know that Tolkien illustrated a bunch of stuff, I think in part because I did have editions that included uh, Tolkien's artwork. Like that barrel rider illustration is extremely familiar looking to me. So I feel like Ah. one of the many editions of The Hobbit I've had had the original Tolkien illustrations. It's interesting too because, you know, I almost put a story in here but left it out because I didn't 100% understand the the legalities involved. <laughs> There's also updated guidance around fan works on the new updated oh, Tolkien yeah. portal. And the fandom community has been a buzz about that. And I tried to, like, parse it out and I mm. just could not. But I'll leave a link in the show notes um, to that for those of you who are interested in diving more into that. But, yeah, these illustrations are lovely. It's so funny because, you know... There are some very famous illustrators who have worked on Hobbit editions, like Alan Lee comes to mind. Um, and I yeah. definitely have those, that hardcover boxed set of the um, the Lord of the Rings. But for me, especially for The Hobbit, like I feel like Tolkien's illustrations so capture the vibe of the words as well that it's just, yeah. it's like a perfect combo. So, Yes, and I would live in this illustration oh. of, Hobbiton. Oh yes, a hundred thousand percent. Yes, like I would like to go to so there. It's lovely. So lovely, so pretty, so sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's so a nice treat one. yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's see. Well, I will skip. I'll save my adaptation news for later. It's one I am very excited about. But let's talk about awards finalists yeah. first. So I. I'm always excited to see the Lambda Literary Award finalist list comes out. It is awarded for um, a variety of queer literature subcategories and includes an LGBTQ speculative fiction category. So File 770, um, reported on by Mike Glyer, has the list of the speculative fiction finalists, which include some books I am familiar with and some I'm not. Uh, Arkady mm-hmm. Martin's A Desolation Called Peace, which is the second book in that series, which I have. I've read the first, but not the second yet, is in here. The Tensorit series by Neon Yang, which I love, yeah. is in here. So glad to see that series continue <laughs> to get recognition. Oh, favorite. And then obviously I've been hearing about No Gods, No Monsters by Caldwell Turnbull, but there's a couple others in here that are new to me. So if you are looking for more LGBTQ spec fic, like this is a great list of five to look at. Yeah, this is, I get a lot of, I I feel like it's silly to even say this, but I get a lot of arcs and galleys. And I've gotten a couple of these. I've I've had a, a couple of these delivered. And I don't think I realize because I don't get a chance always to look mm-hmm. at, like, the descriptions and the pamphlets inside. I didn't realize that uh, a couple of these were were queer SFF. So I'm really excited to go <laughs> unearth them yeah. from my boxes 
and put them on my shelf so I can read them later. But yeah, the the Tenseret series, I just got the the little omnibus of of those books and they are fantastic and just another congratulations to these authors. Yeah. My next news is, I don't know if it's, like, well-known that this is an adaptation situation. I but... had no idea, for the record. I was really? so glad that okay, you put good. this on here. <laughs> yeah, so this comes from Variety, and it was reported on by Jennifer Moss. And I'm a huge Adams Family fan. You know, my childhood, that was... Uh, those movies were really big and as somebody who always loved Halloween and like the more morbid things in life, <laughs> the Adams Family spoke to me. Um, and it wasn't until later that I realized uh, that it's based on a comic strip. But the first, the the big headline of this is that there's going to be a Wednesday series based around Wednesday Adams and Christina Ricci, who I loved as Wednesday Adams is returning for this eight episode series from Netflix, but she is not returning as Wednesday Adams, which was very um, curious and interesting to mm. me. But I get it because this is uh, taking place around when Wednesday Adams is still a young person. So Jane the Virgin star Jenny, uh, Jenna Ortega, sorry is going to star as Wednesday Adams, and this is going to come from Tim Burton. And Ricci, it's not, Christina Ricci, we don't know what role she's playing. It's very mysterious, <laughs> which is fitting, because this is going to be a mystery, a supernatural uh, mystery series that takes place around the school Wednesday Adams goes to Nevermore Academy. So this just sounds very delightful. And yeah, it is based on a, a comic by cartoonist Charles Adams. Funny enough. Um, <laughs> and the cartoon was written in 1938. So this is really old. I only found out about the cartoon a few years ago by accident. I'm pretty sure I found out via Tumblr, because mm. that's just a place where you discover things. Yes. Um, and I was so surprised and delighted to find out about this comic strip. I've only read, like, a couple of the actual strips, not, like, a collection or anything. But this is indeed adaptation news, and I'm really excited for this series. Did you watch Adam's Family back in the day? Yeah, so I've seen the Adam's Family movie, but not Adam's Family Values. But I love the movie, and I yeah. am delighted by like everything about this premise. And they cast uh, <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia Adams and Luis Guzman yes. as Gomez Adams. And I'm like, well, that's fantastic <laughs> that's gonna be <laughs> so much fun and I also thought it was interesting that Thora Birch is gonna be on was like you know part of the show she had to exit um but still yeah will appear on the show so it's just, like I I kind of love that they're like you know paying respects as it were to previous actors from the roles and also bringing in new folks and I'm delighted to see a young Latina woman playing Wednesday mm -hmm. and yes. I just I will watch the bejesus out of this <laughs> there is no doubt me too <laughs> 
So yeah, super excited that you have brought this to our attention. I wish it said anything specific about when it's going to air. I know I was looking for that too. Yeah, no news yet, but hopefully, I feel like Netflix gets things out pretty quickly, and it sounds like it's underway. Yeah, it does seem like they have filmed, so that's promising, promising. I will be looking out for it in any case. Yeah, we will keep you updated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, okay, so my adaptation news, the Hocus Pocus franchise is near and dear to my heart. It is, I do consider it a franchise at this point because in addition to the movie, there is the delightful Hocus Pocus, the sequel, and which I loved for the record. I believe I've talked about it on the show, but I loved <laughs> I'm it. Sure. I annually rewatch the movie. Like this is this is the depth of my fandom for this. <laughs> so, them has a story about Hocus Pocus 2 the movie, which I have also been monitoring the progression of. This is reported on by Naveen Kumar and I could not be more excited about this reveal because we don't know very much about this sequel movie, except for that it doesn't seem like it's going to be based on the book per se. But three of RuPaul's Drag Race MVPs have been cast. Ginger Minj, Cornbread Jete, and Kamora Hall are all going to be in the movie. And, and this is so meta. Apparently, there is a scene in which these three queens are playing drag versions of the Sanderson sisters in a production, and then the original Sanderson sisters show up. And, so good. And it is going to be <laughs> Bette Midler, Kathy and Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker. So, like, I, I could not... I could not be more delighted about this. Like, it's going to be so much fun. It's already such a campy, like, Bette Midler Mm -hmm. is basically in drag, more or less, you know, in the original, like, chewing on the scenery. So, like, to add actual drag queens who are also already so fabulous to this is, like, I, I could not be. I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited for this. So, I love it as well. I yeah. just rewatched Hocus Pocus. I I haven't made it a tradition as you have, mm. but I did rewatch it uh, last Halloween because I just wanted to. It had been a while, and yeah. I wanted to revisit it because I remembered it being a really fun movie. And I didn't realize that the original cast of the Sanderson sisters was coming back, but this was just like. The cherry on top because I also love Drag Race mm-hmm. and desperately need to catch up. But yes, same. I watched the Ginger Minge season and the Kimora Hall season and I think that they are perfect and I cannot wait to get to know Cornbread. Yes. Uh, this sounds so much like so much fun. I really, really cannot wait to watch it. I'm going to watch it as soon as it comes out. Yes. Oh, I was so. We'll have, maybe we'll have to like dedicate an episode to this experience. We could do a Hocus Pocus <laughs> I petition. I petition for a Hocus Pocus <laughs> episode. Sold. Sold. Awesome. <laughs> sorry, not sorry that was a really... to everyone else. Yeah. I'm sure. Everybody loves Hocus Pocus. Who doesn't love it? Well, okay, my partner thinks he will not watch it. He won't watch it. And oh, I'm really? just like, do you what? have no whimsy? Like he but he doesn't like camp that much. And I'm like, well, you're just a sad person, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> 
he, Half his life. I know. It's I life. Know. It is. It is. Maybe you can convince him with this. Possibly. I mean, this sounds it's, super campy. I think so he would give not, it a try. I think he would give it a try. He okay. does enjoy Drag Race, so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's hope oh, for yeah. him yet. Just give it a try. <laughs> Well, that was a fun news cycle. I'm glad we got to enjoy ourselves some. Um, And I'm going to tell us about our next sponsor before we get into even more fun with our picks for the first quarter. So our sponsor is A Matter of Death and Life by Simon R. Green. Master thief, rogue, and chancer Gideon Sable is back for another fast-paced supernatural heist, and this time he has the vault of a Las Vegas casino in his sights, a vault containing the mythical Mask of Ra. But with old grudges threatening to cloud his judgment, an unpredictable crew who don't entirely trust each other, and a formidable supernatural security team guarding his target, this job might be a gamble too far. So A Matter of Death and Life is the sequel to The Best Thing You Can Steal, and it's the second Gideon Sable supernatural heist thriller from British SFF veteran and New York Times bestselling author Simon R. Green. If you love a fast-paced thriller with a supernatural twist and obviously heist stories, because those are always fun, you should definitely check out A Matter of Death and Life. Again, that's by Simon R. Green. Thank you for sponsoring the episode. All right. Time to talk picks. So fun. I'm so excited to hear about yours. Yeah. I, like I said, I changed my mind a thousand times. Um, Yes. But (laughs) I'm going back to one that I actually read last year for my fantasy pick and was like, oh, oh, I can't wait till this is out and I can talk about it. And that (laughs) that time is now. So it's The Cartographers by Pung Shepard. I believe I have talked. I know I have talked about Shepard's work before on this show. And I just did a backlist episode in the anticipation of getting to talk about Cartographers because Shepard's The Book of M just knocked me over when it came out a few years back. And I do hope more people will read that. But this new one is another standalone. It is so good. It is like... It is so many wheelhouses, too. Like, it's for people who love fabulism, like, you know, the regular world with just a mm-hmm. touch of magic. It's for people who love dark academia, which is like everyone right now, right? Ooh. People cannot get enough <laughs> of dark academia. It's for people who love genre blending because this is a mystery and a speculative novel. And it's for people who love books because it is such a books inside of a book and like maps and libraries and all of those like juicy archivey booky things. Um, so it wow. has, I know, right? It's like a, it's like a quadruple threat. It's so, everything. It's got Amazing. everything. It's got everything. So the main character Nell is the daughter of two cartography scholars, which is just like a cool thing to get to say out loud. Um, <laughs> her father, Dr. Daniel Young, is like a BFD, like big, big deal. And he, like, very publicly and brutally fired her uh, a while ago from her dream job at the NYPL, where he is, like, you know, a longstanding, valued and prized employee. And so they have not spoken. And 
he she gets a call that he has died in his office at the NYPL and she goes and she like it's it's suspicious circumstances and he's got this map that was the cause of their falling out that is like in theory a very like nothing burger of a map like it's an old highway map it's there's nothing special about it it's like you could get it at a gas station like she never understood why he had such a strong response to her discovering it in the first place and it she finds it hidden in his desk and like all of this unravels to uncovering family secrets and the circumstances of her mother's death come into question and there's a secret society called the cartographers that everybody's like don't mess with them like don't get involved but of course she does and it's so atmospheric excuse me it's so atmospheric and it's so like tense and it's got this great um like what do you do when your career like you love something so much and then your career is derailed through no real fault of your own and you don't understand why and now you're left to pick up the pieces and then there's family estrangement like there's just so many things going on in this book and it's so well paced oh my gosh I just am obsessed with it (laughs) there's also a lovely romantic subplot like and there's you know towns that like disappear and reappear like it's so cool it's so cool I love this book so so much and I cannot wait for people to read it it's really really fantastic I'm just gonna be gushing about it for forever (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. Yeah. So that's The Cartographers by Pung Shepherd, And y'all need to pick it up ASAP. I am hearing the chorus of all of our listeners clicking on <laughs> the link to that title from the future because that sounds like a reader's delight. Yes. Do it. <laughs> well, my first pick is... A wonderful YA fantasy from a debut author, and it's one of those situations where you read the book and you're like, how is this a debut? Mm. But she's also a short story writer, so this isn't like her first go at writing. She's a great short story writer. So I'm talking about The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta. And this is a Mesoamerican-inspired story. I cannot remember if I have ever read a Mesoamerican-inspired story before, Uh, but it was so fantastic. It's set back when, way back when, in a historical region that spans southern North America and most of Central America, and it's where pre-Columbian civilizations thrived. So the story itself follows two young women, Indir, who's a dreamer, born into a matriarchal lineage of these gifted seers. And they live uh, in the city of Alcons. And then there's Saya, who's also gifted in the form of sight. And the lives of these two teenagers are very, very different. So Indir lives in a temple, and her whole family is respected as dreamers. They're considered leaders, and she has a mother, aunts, and sisters who love and care for her. She feels very well protected at the start of the story. And Indir also understands the importance of her gift and has a sense of purpose in life as a dreamer. 
And then there's Saya, who lives on the run with her mother, and they travel from place to place, basically running from this nameless something Saya doesn't understand and her mother doesn't seem willing to explain. So Saya also doesn't understand what it means that she has this gift of sight. She only knows that it's a tool her mother exploits for passage and trade in these villages where they temporarily settle. And Saya, like, serves the community in a not great way, um, basically trying to profit off of her daughter's gift. And Saya just generally lives under the strict rule of her mother. She's prohibited from doing and saying certain things and also from letting the world know that she's the one with the gift. She doesn't have opportunities to make friends or live her own life or think her own thoughts. So life really sucks for her. But then both India and Saya are on course for some rude awakenings and some really big identity shifts. For Indir, the king dies, and his death ushers in this new leadership. There's this clash between patriarchy and matriarchy, and a massive personal loss for Indir. And for Saya, she has some new bonds that get formed and some old bonds that get broken as she wakes up to her own reality. And I love both of these characters. They were so wonderful. Their stories were so beautifully told and really at times hard to watch because of the pain and suffering they both have to endure. And Saya's mom is really manipulative and emotionally abusive. And Indir has a lot of grieving she does in her story. And in addition to the captivating stories of their early lives, we get this epically envisioned Mesoamerican-inspired world where diverse societies mingle, coming from across the sea and land, each with their own traditions and beliefs. You also get magical creatures and dreamscapes and spirits and just great visuals in general. And there are also some old legends that come up and a bit of a slow burn romance and also intertwined fates at the core of what is really a feminist story. And I just, again, thought it was a really impressive debut novel. I think it's one that has everything a fantasy lover could want. And I actually couldn't find any information about a second book, but I feel Mm. pretty, I'd be super surprised if this was not the start of a series and um i can't wait for the next book to come out if it is if my suspicions are true (laughs) so if you do want to get into a really immersive story with really rich visuals and two fantastic characters definitely pick up the dreamers again that's by liz huerta yeah, that one's high on my list too. I was thinking about it. I was I was thinking there's Elliot Dubadard has a has a Mesoamerican mystery series. Oh yeah. And then Rebecca Roanhorse's new series that starts with Black Sun has influences. It's it's not set in our world, mm. but it's definitely influenced by and then Oh, yeah, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia's, ooh, I'll put the title in the show notes, it escapes me at the moment. There's a few others, but it's not, I'm so glad there are more, and I can't wait to read, cannot wait to read this one. It's really good. Highly recommend it. Yeah. 
Well, so for those of you who are like me trying to read more in translation and who like short stories, I have a collection for you. It is both science fiction and fantasy. It is very broad ranging. It's The Way Spring Arrives and Other Stories, edited by Regina Kenyu Wang and Yu Chen. And this is interesting because all of these stories are in translation and... All of the creators are either female or non-binary. And so it is like a really interesting range of stories and themes and styles. There's even several essays uh, in here about the art of translation, about what it means to be a writer from a marginalized gender in Chinese science fiction specifically. These are all uh, from Chinese writers. And it's really it's really fascinating. It's 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 doing so many things like at the very bottom level. It's giving you great stories. But there's a lot of food for thought in here. And I will say that. There's a lot of conversations going on in the U.S. about how many non-binary folks would not be preferred, would not prefer to be sort of lumped in with like women and non-binary, like as if mm-hmm. non-binary is like a subsection of women. Like that's not that's not how that works. Um, yeah. But also there are obviously a lot of commonalities in being from marginalized genders that pair up women with non-binary folks on the regular. So there's a there's some tensions there that I don't think were acknowledged in the essays in this collection about how it was created. And I think it's also very possible that the conversation is different in China. And so that's just like a note for those of you who are more immersed in these conversations to keep in mind as you read this. Um, but the stories, the, all the stories have never before been published in English, first of all. So that's amazing. Secondly, R.F. Quang is one of the translators and essayists up in here. Oh. Well, yes, exactly. So like there's going to be names you recognize, which is super cool. And some of these stories are going to live in my head forever, forever, <sighs> like forever. I mean, it is wild the range that they got in here there's some that are like very contemporary with just a touch of speculative there's some that are full-on fables there are some that are really disturbing and dark there are some that are very (laughs) sweet and funny like it is an enormous range of some really talented writers and I I just think that if like for so many reasons, this is worth picking up. We have been treated to such a surge of science fiction and fantasy from Chinese writers, thanks to the efforts of people like Ken Liu and now R.F. Quang and these editors. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it because these are stories that, you know, are are very new to me in a lot of ways. And they're doing things that I haven't seen done before. They're tackling topics in different ways with different perspectives. Like, I just think this collection has a ton going for it and is especially interesting if you like to think about sort of the state of science fiction and fantasy, both in English and internationally, and to think about what it means to write from these different perspectives, both in terms of cultural and like geographic backgrounds and gender backgrounds. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a really solid collection. 
that has some incredible standout stories in it and is going to give you so much food for thought. So, again, that's The Way Spring Arrives and Other Stories by Regina Kanyu. Oh, edited by Regina Kanyu Wong and Yu Chen. I absolutely was going to read that and I saw it on the list that you were going to talk about it and put it off. But I'm really excited to pick it up at last. It sounds so, so good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I am continuing the short story train with my next pick which is a science fiction novel but it's actually a collection of linked stories yeah it's really it's so great it spans this a massive swath of time and place it's how high we go in the dark by sequoia nagamatsu and i just want to say to firstly brace yourselves because this is a global pandemic (laughs) novel And there's a lot of grief, but there is a lot of hope and courage and fear as well in this story. And it has its highs and lows, but I really loved it. I loved being immersed in this story. And I'm personally not put off by pandemic novels or story. I find Mm. them mostly cathartic, uh, especially with a pandemic novel like this one because of the theme of hope that seems to be in if not every story most of them so we meet this massive cast of characters we are learning their backstories and traversing time and space with them and some of the stories are strongly connected and some of them less so but they all contribute to this kind of rich experience experience this feeling that You're really getting to know this long-suffering world. And in addition to centering the pandemic experience, the book also centers the Asian experience, mainly the Japanese experience in America and Japan, in other Earthbound spaces also, and also in some liminal and galactic spaces. So it all starts with the discovery of something ancient, of this possible meeting of two worlds and the breeding of this Arctic plague that's born from that discovery. And on the same token, it also starts with one family, a daughter who basically sacrifices her life back home and her time with her family because she is deeply committed to making the world a better place. And... You know, her family doesn't always understand where she's coming from, but then you have her grieving father who tries to continue her work and learns more about, you know, kind of her thinking behind making these sacrifices. And then you have her granddaughter who loses her parents and uh, the wife of the father who's gone off to figure out what his daughter was doing and his wife is just trying to keep it all together for what remains of her family. So we revisit this family and the impact they make on the world as we also dip into these other stories, so many stories, that tell us how the plague affects the human body and how people find ways to cope and to grieve and let go and the paths we take to move forward. And I think on top of just the stories about the pandemic, I I realized that the story in a lot of ways was 
was about family. It Family is a big part of the storyline and these linked um, lives. So love and family is a big theme here. And there are stories, for instance, about kids who spend their their days at an amusement park. That one's particularly sad. Um, and I should say there is a trigger warning for child death here. And there are stories about families torn apart by the fl- the plague and also just its fallout and about scientists and doctors who are learning from and growing to love their patients and who are afflicted or present possible advances that are going to ease the world's suffering. And then there are also stories about that go far afield into the future about the quest for new frontiers beyond Earth where there is no plague. And that's all to say there is an astonishing amount of variety in this book. The stories go all over time and place, and there is no shortage of stories to explore either. And even though they're all linked, I found this to be a really good book for reading in phases and ruminating on them, especially since some of them are really emotional Mm. and powerful. So I definitely recommend, like, taking your time with this one. I do not recommend reading the stories out of order. That is not how this (laughs) book works. Uh, In case you're more used to reading short stories that aren't linked, it's not ideal. Uh, But it's so fantastic to really get into it and read these stories the way the author meant them to be told. If you're not up for a pandemic story, I totally get it and read whatever does give you joy. But if you are looking for pandemic stories and you find them cathartic as well, and you particularly want stories like that with hope, perseverance, and heart, you should definitely check out How High We Go in the Dark. Again, that's by Sequoia Nagamatsu. Such a good read. Mm, you're convincing me. I wasn't sure about that one, but I now I'm it's like it, more inclined. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. I and I get it, but I really enjoyed it. And that's it for our picks. Wow, I can't believe we got through all of those wonderful reads and managed to find four we could talk about uh, <laughs> and not overwhelm everybody, but thank you for joining us on our journey. Mm-hmm. And Many thanks to Caitlin Brame, who sound edits SFF Yeah and makes us sound great each and every episode. Check out more Rex at bookriot.com. And you can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us your ideas for future episodes or your thoughts or your favorite reads of the first quarter at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts because it really does help people find us also on Spotify. And you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S Zainab Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>